your congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of the providence of God with the help of Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10. God's providence means, as we read, the truth that we know and we believe from the Bible, that God upholds and guides and governs every event on earth, that everything that happens, every rainstorm or every sunny day, or even the rising and fallings of the tides in the ocean, we believe that it's ultimately under God's control and according to His plan. We do not believe in luck or chance or happenstance or anything like that. And many people in the world today bulk at that. They like to believe or they prefer to believe in a God who perhaps only controls the so-called good things or the easy things or the prosperous times. But as our confession teaches us, and as we will see today, even wars and rumors of wars happen according to His plan. Even when we hear those sad stories in the news, as we did these past weeks, of hospitals being shelled in the Ukraine or children being injured in war, as difficult as it is, we still confess God is in control and He has a plan. And somehow in the end, in His scales of justice, He will make all things right. And so today we're going to look at how God, from the Word of God, still works out all things according to His plan. We're looking at the doctrine of the providence of God. First, we'll look at some Scripture texts or proofs just of the fact of providence that teach us that God does indeed work all things according to His plan. Then we'll look at the mystery of His providence, some of the texts that teach us a little more of how the Lord God even works through hard and evil events and happenings at times. And then thirdly, the benefits of this doctrine or the blessings in believing this and knowing this. First, some passages in the Bible that prove this, various Scripture verses. As you work through our catechism, especially in the back of the Psalter, you notice that it has footnotes of different Bible verses, and you'll notice if you read it carefully, then you go look up some of those footnotes that it just works through Scripture passage after Scripture passage, and often the lines in the catechism itself are right out of the Bible. And so we will be working largely here just text to text, some familiar proof texts. Ephesians 1 verse 11 is one. It says there, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Notice that line, works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, this text speaks first of election or predestination, the fact that God chose His elect children before even the world was created. But in doing so, it also teaches us and it reminds us that every single event on earth, all things that happen, its very specific language are according to His predetermined plan. Sometimes we have plans 
for different events in our life. And sometimes they go well and sometimes they do not. But we know that the Lord our God will work all things according to His plan. I was once at the wedding of a relative and she had a plan for her wedding. And it was laid out very, very specifically. And in a little bit of good humor at the reception, somebody had found her binder for preparations for the wedding, and it was a four-inch, three-ring binder, and she had everything laid out exactly as she wanted it to go, time by time, and all of the arrangements, and she had been very, very organized. And some people have even that gift in the workplace. They play a certain role because they are a, a good planner or a good engineer or they're, they're good at setting things in order on the job site, in construction. And, but our things don't always go according to plan. And we have mistakes and disasters and problems that come in the way. But we must understand that what we confess from a passage like Ephesians 1 verse 11 is that the Lord God has laid out a plan from all eternity. And that plan includes, as the catechism says, times of adversity and difficulty and challenges and even hardships as well as the more seemingly blessed times or the easier times or the more prosperous times. Another passage, Acts 17, verse 24 through 28. There we read of the God who made the world and everything in it, and He's the one who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then later, He has determined allotted periods and the boundaries of dwelling places. And then later, in Him, we live and move and have our being. But think especially of that line, Acts 17, verse 27, he has determined these allotted boundaries. There's an emphasis there in this passage, Acts 17, that God is controlling all things for an end, that he's working out a plan. And here, as this sermon is preached, the people are taught that even the boundaries of their dwelling places are according to God's plan. That means that the survey stakes, the corners of your property, if you own a property, were ultimately determined according to God's plan. Where the walls of your house sit, ultimately determined according to God's plan. The periods, the allotted periods of your life, the moment of your birth, the moment of your last breath. The picture here is that the Lord God has hemmed in people in time and in space. And He has predetermined and chosen that you live where you live and that He is working out all things according to a plan and that everything is not just designed by architects or planners or schedulers, but ultimately by the Lord our God. And He is even also the sovereign God. He has the right to do this to determine the moment of our death or what happens with any part of His creation at any time. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. The Lord God manages, even more rules over and owns all of creation. We need to realize that the laws that we have in God's Word which apply to us do not apply at all in the same way to the Lord our God. 
He and His providence may do as He pleases with us. If He are, is to choose the moment of our death, even as a young person in a car accident, that is His, what we call divine prerogative. That is His right. You could think of it this way. If you have a hen house, chicken house in your backyard, and if I were to go in there and take one of your chickens and eat it for dinner, I would be stealing, wouldn't I? That would be wrong to do. The Lord God has put us under laws. But if you go back into your own hen house and you take a chicken and you eat it for dinner, you have every right to do that. You own it. Well, we have to understand that the Lord God, Psalm 115 verse 3, He does whatever He pleases. We do not hold Him to, our own, to the standards that He holds us to, for He cannot murder. You understand that? The Lord God, He cannot murder. He may take life because it belongs to Him. He cannot steal because He owns all things, not just because of His pure and holy righteousness. And so we must come to a submissive place with the understanding of the psalmist that the Lord may do as He pleases, or with the understanding of Job, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It all belongs to Him. It is for His taking. And so whether there is a tsunami in a faraway ocean, and many are swept away, or an earthquake, or a disease, or a war, or another judgment of God. He has every right to do these things. He is the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. And His power, as our confession puts it, our catechism puts it, is almighty and everywhere present. Almighty and everywhere present. He is all-powerful. There is no stopping His purposes. We say He is omnipotent. He's everywhere present. And we cannot even begin to describe how great God is, but we know that He is here and now, and He is ruling over and guiding and holding and controlling all things. And even though He is everywhere present, we understand and confess that He is beyond everywhere. 1 Kings 8, verse 27, Solomon confesses, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. God is infinitely greater than all of creation. We can't begin to grasp His, His everywhere present power, but in some way that is beyond us, He is working everywhere, always in control. That doesn't mean He's part of creation. Lord our God is separate from creation. That's part of His holiness. He's uncreated, the eternal one. We don't believe He's in creation like the Eastern religions do with their pantheism. That's not what we're saying by the doctrine of providence where they believe God is in the tree or, or in the field or in the lake or whatever it is. And we don't believe either that the Lord God stepped back from His creation like a, a deist does or another religion. No, but we believe God is indeed separate from His creation but everywhere present, all-powerful, always ruling over and working out His plan. But how does he do this? Well, we don't ultimately know. There's a mystery to the working of his providence, but he does give us some insights in his word. 
that indeed He is constantly working. Now, we understand that the Lord God uses what sometimes in the theology books they call secondary causes, or at least as far as we can see it, it appears that way. So when the tide rises and falls, we, we can see that that corresponds to when the moon circles around the earth or the sun, and that the water rises in the direction of the moon. Or we see the weather patterns moving across, and we understand that the Lord God uses the wind or the rain to accomplish His purposes, and He still holds it all in His hands. But it's interesting that the Scriptures, they give us an insight that God even uses the decisions of people and even the sinful decisions of people to accomplish His will. Perhaps the most vivid picture of this in the Bible is in Genesis with Joseph. Genesis 50 gives a vivid example of how Joseph explains this. Remember the story of Joseph, how he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. They were jealous of his dreams. They were jealous that he was a favorite of his father, and they looked on him with hatred. So they threw him in that pit. They sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt in slavery and then in prison. And his brothers had been hateful. They had lied. They had sold and abused their own brother. There was so much sin in those events. And yet in the end, the Lord God used those sins to deliver His people for a time out of the land of Canaan, to take that family out of a horrible circumstance where they were starting to be influenced by the Canaanites around them, to move them then in a time of famine to where Joseph had been set up and prepared to feed them. And so, Joseph could say in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, for the brothers, this was a sinful action. They were responsible for what they did. We cannot look at an event like this and use it to rationalize or to think that somehow if we live in sin, the Lord will use that. That would be a horrible way to go. We must act according to how God has called us in His Word, and we are constantly called to flee from sin. And yet in this picture, it shows us that the sins of these older brothers, that though they were responsible for them, the Lord God had planned this entire event to preserve His people. And that's also very clear from the Lord's words to Abraham. The Lord had told Abraham ahead of time that his son's sons would be taken to Egypt and they would spend time there. And there's a mystery to these providences, and yet we understand that the Lord God even had a plan for the sins of Joseph's brothers. We would not say from the book of James that the Lord God incited their rebellion, But we would say he foreknew their rebellion and he had it in his plan. And they are ultimately responsible. We've been given God's law. We make decisions according to his law. And yet the Lord God will use them in the life of his church and believers for their good. And there should be a great comfort in that. A great comfort there should also be 
a submissive, a holy submission to God's will in response to that. Joseph says, Genesis 50, verse 19, to his brothers. Now his brothers had come to him, and they were fearful. Their father was dying. And they were worried that now Joseph would get his revenge on them. He was the prime minister of Egypt. He could do as he pleased in that circumstance. But here was Joseph's response, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Joseph's righteousness and his understanding of God's good providences and his understanding that he was not the one to punish even here is a beautiful example of how one of God's submissive children can look at his sovereign providences, even those that are most difficult, and they can say in the end, I am not in the place of God. I don't need to punish or to try to ultimately understand. There's a mysterious truth to this, but we can know that God will work all things for good. You know, there are people, though Genesis 50 gives us some insight, other passages we'll look at it in a moment do as well, there are people that try too hard to understand these mysteries or too hard to reconcile them. There are two extremes that people try to reason this out. How? They ask the questions, how, how can God use sinful men like this? Or how is it possible? On the one hand, some people fall into a, a sort of fatalism. And they deny that man has been given any responsibility and they even make God ultimately the author of sin. We must not go that way. On the other side, there are those who fall into what they call open theism or this idea that God doesn't even know what's coming next, a false teaching, a false religion. And on both sides, you see people on both extremes trying to too hard to figure out the mystery of God's providences and the mysteries of His will and what the Reformed have always said is ultimately God is sovereign and we are responsible. God is sovereign. He is working out all of His purposes and yet we still are called to be responsible. We have the calls and the commands of His Word, including even the call to repent and believe. And it is a mystery to us that ultimately the Lord only works that by His Holy Spirit. And yet we are commanded and we are called to obey His will. And so the Christian in faith ultimately understands God ordains all things. He has a plan. And yet we are responsible. Do you believe in this one true sovereign God? The one who planned all things and who controls all things. Has this been your experience along the road of your life of, of learning more and more to understand this a little bit or to accept this? Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that a true believer is one who is a stoic or every time they go through adversity that they're like a robot and it doesn't affect them. That's not at all what we are talking about when we begin to learn about the mysteries of God's providence. It's not as if we 
just come across trials and hardships and we do not weep anymore or struggle. You can think of the Lord Jesus Christ in His perfect sinlessness under the heavy providences of going to the cross. He still wept and sweated blood, faced great anxiety, and so will God's people at times. And yet we can do so with the comfort that He is upholding all things, that He's interested in His creation, and that especially He's working all things out for the good of His children. He's even upholding through the work of His Son, Hebrews 1 verse 3, the same Son who, through whom all things were made upholds the universe by the word of His power. The Son of God is upholding this world, and His children are always kept, as it were, in His hand. And this means that there is nothing that happens to us, nothing that befalls us that is random chance or outside of His control or outside of His plan. Proverbs 16 even says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In old times, a lot was something like flipping a coin. Maybe the children here do that from time to time. They flip a coin to try to make a decision, something our forefathers would have been careful with. Or maybe you roll a dice to play a game. When you do that, you should ultimately know and understand then that the Lord God is fully in control. And that's why some of our, our forefathers were pretty cautious and careful about using things like lots in the old church order. If there was a tie between the voting for an office bearer, I think two times in a row it was, then they would draw lots. But they would do so soberly, prayerfully, understanding that was to leave it in the hands of the Lord. And so we believe that even the flip of a coin or the roll of a dice, ultimately every event in the hands of the Lord, everything that happens to a believer or an unbeliever, He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So everything that occurs in our lives, from the smallest coin flip all the way to the car accidents or the wars, are all under His control. And some Christians, they struggle with this, don't they? They wonder, why does God not bless me as He does perhaps the pagan neighbor down the road? Or they wonder, the things that I want are good especially if they want perhaps a child or a relationship. And they wonder why. Why does tragedy befall me and not another? Well, there's actually a great comfort in our confession here that though we may not know why, we know that the Lord knows why. And we leave that in His hands and in His wise providence, knowing and trusting that He knows why and that it will be for His glory. I remember many years ago, after September 11th, 
2001. There was an interview with a number of pastors on a major American television station. And many again and again said, well, God did not do this. He had no plan for this. But then they interviewed a Baptist pastor named John MacArthur. And he was the one who had the courage to say, God was present. It was ultimately according to His plan. And it was ultimately a part of His plan. And it is. And we do not understand that mystery. And yet, since God is who He says He is, and He controls the moment of each life and death, we do confess He has a plan for every nation, church, home, family, individual, and that ultimately for God's children, that plan is good. Nothing comes by chance. And now we're going to look thirdly at the benefits of understanding this doctrine or the blessing for the child of God, the believer. Well, one benefit of this doctrine is growth in faith. Growth in faith. James 1, verse 2 and 3, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The providences of God, child of God, believer, are arranged to test your faith. And as Peter puts it, as gold that goes into a fire or as silver tried by fire to burn away the dross and the mixed doubts and the sinfulness and to more and more purify you, child of God. And so providence becomes a process like a furnace. You know that picture of how when metal is mined, it's always got impurities in it. It's always got some dross in it or slag, and, and they run it through a very, very hot furnace, and it purifies it, and it burns away the impurities. Well, God's providences are uniquely shaped in the life of every believer to more and more strengthen their faith. The testing of your faith produces patience. And so first, it, it strengthens and it tests the faith of God's people, His providence. Second, it, it causes us to grow in patience, in patience. You know, it is impossible to grow in patience unless there is a cause that would ordinary, ordinarily cause impatience. You know, if life is just going easy for a number of weeks and nothing is really getting on your nerves, you're going through a good phase. You don't even really need to be patient, do you? And then perhaps you go through a bit of a trial, a bit of a challenging situation. Maybe it's even just a physical pain. And then you see the need to grow in patience. And so the Lord God calls His people even to trials and to suffering and to adversity and to challenges that they may grow in patience, but then also that they may grow in thankfulness. The mature believer does not just grow in hard or in difficult trials. Often in God's providence, we go through ups and downs, many of us. 
times of more adversity and then times of some more blessing or some easier days, so to speak. And the Christian is to be one who grows in thankfulness. The end of the psalm we read, Psalm 104, meditating on God's providence and the way that God fed all of the animals and brought the rain and and looking at the beauty of His creation and how it all works together so majestically and amazingly with so much wisdom of the Lord God turned the psalmist in the end to thankfulness and to praise of God. And when we go through times of prosperity, we ought to be those that thank the Lord. Thanking the Lord for our food and for our meals is more than just a tradition. It's very scriptural. First Timothy, that we would thank the Lord for our food and that the good providences in life should turn our hearts to thanksgiving. So God's providences turn us to understand James 1 verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And so when we begin to meditate more and more, and I would challenge you to do this in this coming week, that when you see the rain come through perhaps, or you see the warmth, you feel the warmth of the spring sunshine, or you eat a meal, that we should be thankful in prosperity, praying often with thanksgiving to the Lord for special moments with grandchildren perhaps, or blessings from His Word and understanding His providence and understanding that He is always working should turn us more and more to thankfulness. Even the little things, whether it's a cup of tea or a conversation with a friend or a loved one, we should give glory to the Lord God in our prayers, and they should be a source of joy and of thankfulness each new day, a day of His salvation and of His patience. But then also, understanding the doctrine of providence and being reminded of of it should cause us to grow in maturity and understanding. God's people should not be those that are tossed to and fro by every storm or every event. Especially as we look at the news cycle in our day, we are now seeing that the news always seems to want us to be alarmed, always seems to want us to be scared and tempest-tossed by one event after another. The Christian needs to understand that this world has always been one of wars, sad events, heartaches, and accidents. It has also been one where there have always been drier years and then wetter years. And we should not be so tempest-tossed by these things. We should understand the Lord is in control and that He is working, and we should be able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and prayerfully grow in a maturity where we are not tossed about to and fro by every change or every story or every um, fearful story, especially in the media. We must understand that the Lord's specialty is actually in taking broken situations and dark backdrops and hard times and messes even. He uses them to show His grace and His mercy and His tender love. 
And he even uses at times, perhaps marriage difficulties of the past or family difficulties, like in the case of Joseph, to show his tender love and kindness and to even deepen and enrich in relationships between us and him ultimately, but then also between one another. So the Lord takes broken situations and we can grow by the power of the Spirit and maturity and understanding that He will use each situation to strengthen us ultimately. But then finally, the doctrine of God's providence should turn us to look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2 verse 23 says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. There the apostle Peter, he's preaching to the very crowds which had cried, crucify Him, crucify Him, and to the very people who had called for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what he says there, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. At the very cross of the Lord Jesus Christ worked out perfectly according to God's providences. And there we see that the darkest of moments where the Lamb of God, the perfect righteous one, was even crucified. That horrific death on a cross hung between heaven and earth taken outside the gates of the city and crucified along the side of a road, exposed to the passers-by, humiliated, and then worst of all, under the wrath of God. And yet all according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. The doctrine of God's providence should take us to the very cross and then the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and remind us that the Lord God indeed does have a wonderful plan for this world in His Son and for those that trust in Him, for His children. Now, it's sobering on the other hand that there are those who will deny doctrines such as this one, who will live in rebellion against God, who will grow in bitterness instead of maturity, in doubt instead of faith, in impatience instead of patience. How we respond to providence is a barometer of spiritual life. And may we not be those who grow bitter, impatient, and angry. If that is you, You are urged today to repent, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, to pray that He would teach you by His Spirit to accept His providences. But child of God, there's a great comfort in the cross of Christ, but then also the promises of His Word, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God called according to His purpose. Christians can trust that they have a faithful God and Father, and that the same providences or types of situations which may harden and even drive one towards hell, drive them towards their Father's arms. 
and towards the heavenly city, letting go more and more of this world and clinging more and more to Him. Yes, God's people will face difficult providences. You can even think the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's often the lot of God's people, but what a blessing it is to know that the Father is in control. Amen. We'll now sing from Psalter number 402, 402, verses 1, 2, and 3.